um, I will worry my life. I, I won't worry my life away. I won't worry my life away. Who, who in here feels like you're worrying your life away at times? Anybody? Don't we all worry? Worry is just part of, of everyday life, isn't it? And we all have, have good reasons to worry about things or, or to fear certain things. You know, we worry about money. We worry about work or, or keeping work. We worry about our children. We worry about safety. We worry about our security. We worry about the future. We worry about relationships. We worry about our reputation. We worry about our health and the health of others. There's a lot of apparent reasons to worry and fear, and I'm sure all of us, all of us have them. I want to read to you an excerpt from a book um, that I just picked up this week. It's fresh off the press. It's by my favorite Christian author called Max Lucado. Super easy to read and just really profound things to say. And he wrote a book called Fearless, and it came out this week, so I thought, huh, how fitting. I should have a look into that. And um, I want to read read just a couple of pages to you. See if you can identify with this. Worry stands at the airport security line and removes her bracelet. She's already placed her shoes in a rubberized bin and liquids in the plastic bag and has removed the boarding pass from her purse. Her stomach tightens as she awaits her turn to step through the body scanner that will identify her as weaponless. Worry wonders about the fungus on the floor and the skill of the screeners and what happened to the day when a traveler could walk straight through the gate and catch the flight. She hates the thought but permits it anyway. Any day now our luck is going to run out. She looks beyond the x-ray machine to the TSA agent who runs a wand around the body of a grandmother. Worry starts to feel sorry for her and then decides not to. Terrorists grow old too. She worries that the grandmother is on her flight. Then Worry sits on the back row of the English as a second language class. He'd prefer the front row, but by the time he caught the city bus and endured the evening traffic, the best seats were taken. His hands still smell of, of diner dishwasher where Worry worked since six this morning. Within 12 hours, he'll be at the sink again, but for now, he does his best to make sense of verbs, adverbs, and nouns. Everyone else seems to get it. He doesn't. He never diagrammed a sentence in Spanish. How will he ever do it in English? Yet with no English, how will he ever do more than wash plates? Worry has more questions than answers, more work than energy, and thinks often about giving up. Worry thinks her son should wear a scarf. Today's temperature won't warm beyond freezing, and she knows he will spend the better part of his lunch hour kicking a soccer ball over the frozen grass. She knows better than to tell him to wear it. 13-year-olds don't wear scarves. But her 13-year-old is prone to throat infections and earaches, so she shoves a wrap into his backpack next to the algebra homework that kept them both up past midnight last night. Worry reminds him to review the assignments, gives him a kiss, and watches him run out the door to board the awaiting bus. She looks up at the gray sky and asks, if God, and asks God if he ever airdrops relief packages to weary moms. You have one needing some strength down here. And then, Worry got up at 6 a.m. this morning and worried whether you would like my message this morning. Whether you, know, you would feel it was worth your time and worried that it might not be in your eyes and that you would voice that to church leadership. And 
I worry that, uh, that they might regret the decision to bring us over here all the way from Germany and maybe decide that it wasn't such a good idea after all and decide to let us go and now worry what would happen to my children and the school and the friends they have made and the mortgage I have to pay and what, ha what would happen to my family. Worry and fear can be incredibly powerful. It makes us do things we wouldn't normally do. It keeps us from things we might want to do. It's very powerful and, and we all have them, don't we? I don't know what yours are. I know mine. But I would like you to encourage to think through these for a couple of minutes. You will see on your seat we have our contact cards and then there is a blank white index card. I would love for you to take a few minutes and think through the things that, that are on your heart that worry you. The things that might have kept you from falling asleep last night. The, the kind of thing that was first on your mind this morning. The things that you carry around that burden you, that you are fearful of, that worry you. And, and write those down, would you? For a few, and then hang on to that for the rest of the service. I just want to give you a couple of minutes to do that. All right, I know there wasn't several minutes, but write those down. And, and now throughout the message, when things come to mind, just keep, keep writing those down, if you don't mind. My son Casey, he's our second. He's uh, 11 years old, and I've asked him if I can share this with you this morning. He, he's a little bit on the fearful side at times, and in the last few months, he has developed this fear of elevators. It's really weird. He just will not get into an elevator. It started with our K2 elevator here, and granted, that thing isn't the most trustworthy of elevators, but he overheard a conversation that that thing was broken again, and he will not get into an elevator. When we're in any, any surrounding where, where you know, we're in a parking garage or something like this, or a building where we might need to take an elevator, he just beelines to the door to the staircase immediately. It's, it's, it's a really strong fear in him right now. We're trying to, to work this through, but he's really fearful, and it, and it, it determines his actions. And as soon as, as there's just the hint of an elevator, he, he goes, looks for the staircase. It's really powerful. And right now, it makes me walk a lot of stairs when I'm with him because um, of his fear. But they're powerful. And, and they, they keep us from what God wants, wants to do in and through our lives. And we're in our series called Changing Your World. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what we need to do with fears that keep us from changing our world and, and what it means to really seek after God in the midst of our fears. The Bible is full of reminders for us not to worry, for us not to fear. Throughout the New Testament, as Jesus' life is recorded, throughout his life, we find in Scripture 125 imperatives that he gives us where he says to his disciples, or, or others say, do this or don't do this, do this or don't do this. Out of these 125, 21 have to do with fear. 21 times in, in the Gospels in the New Testament, we've, we hear Jesus say, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't fear, take heart, have courage. Again and again, 20% of his instructions have to do with us not fearing, with us having courage. And one of those times is in Matthew chapter 6, the chapter that we've been going through over these last few weeks. And I want to read today's passage with you. Um, it's in Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. 
If you want to read along with me, it'll, it'll be on the screen. Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon was a mighty king um, of Israel. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, people that don't know God, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's a beautiful passage, one of my favorites in all of the New Testament. The New Living Translation translates this this way. It says, so I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough. Having enough. Having enough or the apparent lack of, of things, apparently not having enough. Isn't that the number one reason we have fear? Because we think we, we don't have enough, not enough money, not enough time, not enough friends, not enough talents, not enough credit, not enough love in our lives. And so we worry. We worry about these things, these, these lacks of, of things in our lives. Do you know what? And Jesus says this here with his example of, of the birds and, the, and the, the grass. One thing he wants to communicate through, to us here through this message, worry doesn't work. Worry never accomplishes what we think it will accomplish for us. He says, look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them. And this is the New Living Translation. And you are far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? He says, of course not. All the time that we spend worrying about things can't add a single minute to our life. It doesn't work. He says, do not worry. And what Jesus is talking about here with do not worry, if, if we were to translate the, the full meaning of this word, he's talking about prolonged periods of, of deep-seated worry and fear, existential worries, the kind of things that keep us from sleeping, the kind of thing that wakes us up early in the morning. Obviously, there, there is everyday kind of worries that we have. You know, you might have left that, your house this morning and thought, oh, I'm worried I might have left the, the stovetop on. Oh, well, that's a worry you can deal with right away. You, you step on the brakes, you turn around, you go back, you check it, you come to church late. No big deal. There's, there's everyday kind of worries that all they really need is they need some action from us. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about deep-seated fears and worries that become a lifestyle. 
deep-seated fears and worries that, uh, that become our mode of operation, that determine the things we do and don't do. And there's two, two truths about worry in this passage that, that I just want to get into real quick. The first one is that, that worry is an option for us. Worry is an option. So often we, we live life as if worry just comes over us and there's nothing we can do about it. We're kind of victims of it. It just happens that you, you have to worry. Kind of like, like being sad. Let's say something, something tragic happens in your family and, and you're sad and that's okay. It's like somebody coming to you and saying, well, don't be sad. Well, you, you, you're sad and that's okay. But that's how we deal with worry. It's like, okay, this is really bad and I'm going to worry about that. And we feel like there's nothing we can do about it. It just happens and we're, we're a victim of it. But that is not what Jesus is saying here about worrying and what, he, what the Bible tells us about worrying all through. See, the simple fact that Jesus and other parts of Scripture tell us, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Take courage. Tells us there has got to be an alternative to worrying. There has got to be another option. And if we worry and are fearful continuously, it is because we decide so. It's because we've made the decision that that's the best way to go. But Jesus is very clear. It is an option. And he shows us what other opportunities are, what other alternatives are. And we will get into those. The second truth is, and I've already touched on it, but we're going to go a little deep on it, is that worry just doesn't work. It never works. Worry never makes a situation better. I know from my experience, and, and I'm a warrior, and not the kind of warrior. I'm the, I worry. <laughs> I struggle with it. I, I struggle with it. And I know we say that all the time. We talk about something. We say, that, you know, I'm struggling with this. I want you to know anything that I have to say about not worrying this morning comes from a place of learning this. I am not there, but I'm on my way there, I hope. So just know that I'm on this journey with you of learning not to worry. I, I haven't figured it all out yet, but I know that when I worry, it always makes the, makes the problem bigger. It always exasperates the issue. Always. And you know why? Just with the example that I gave you about this morning, and it's true, I woke up at six worrying how are you gonna, what are you going to think about my message this morning? And then you can take that, and that's what we do with, with worries. Most of worry is our imagination. You remember where I took that? I took, you might not like my, my sermon, all the way to I'm going to get fired and kicked out of this country. <laughs> okay? But that's, that's what we do. That's what happens when we worry, because our imagination pretty much always takes us to the worst-case scenario, doesn't it? And Max Lucado, in his book here, addresses that, and he encourages his readers to do what we did this morning. Write down your worries. Write down what worries you and why it worries you and what you're worried about might happen as a result of it. And then let it sit and go back to it a week later or two weeks and read it again, and you'll chuckle because 95% of things that we worry about never actually happen because worry is so much our imagination of the worst-case scenario. Worry doesn't work. When was the last time you looked back at a situation and thought, boy, I'm sure glad I worried that much about that situation. That really helped me out. Seriously. Guys, when was the last time your wife, your, your girlfriend, 
came to you and says, I am so glad you totally stressed out over that situation. Well, that really made things better. Has that ever happened? Wow, but we do it, don't we? It's, it's our first reaction to issues. <gasps> worry. It just simply doesn't work. When was the last time worry paid your mortgage? When was the last time worry put food on your table? And I know there's some of us here that, that worry about what they're going to eat. But when did worry put food on your table? When was the last time worry kept your child or another loved one from getting sick? And when ever did worry change the world? When ever has fear changed the world? And that's what we're talking about in these weeks is what can we do? What is God telling us we can do so that he can, through us, change the world around us? I can tell you this, worry and fear won't do it. It just doesn't work. So why is it that, that Jesus and, and all of Scripture is so intense and intentional about telling us over and over and over and over and over again, don't worry. Don't worry. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Follow, follow the, the Lord your God. Take courage over and over. Why is it so adamant about that? And I think it's this. Whenever we worry... Whenever we fear continuously, it leaves God out of the equation. It leaves God out of the picture and out of the situation, out of the circumstance that you're in. Because worry and fear, I believe, and, and just track with me, see if, if I'm right here, worry and fear always is an issue of control. We worry and fear because we're out of control in a certain situation, we don't know what's going to happen. And our mind goes, oh, this might happen and this. We're out of control. That's what causes worry and fear. So why is it so important for us to be in control? Why do we need the feeling of being in control? I think it's because we don't have trust. We don't trust each other. And really, ultimately, when we fear and we worry, we don't trust God. That's really what it comes down to. So the real question is, why don't we trust God? Who in here has little children that need babysitting once in a while? Okay. Um, lady over here, would you, would you let my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, Clara, babysit your children? Not? Why not? She's, she's awesome. Her name's Clara. She's 12 and a half years old. She's super mature and responsible for her age. She's beautiful on top of that. Um, <laughs> why wouldn't you have... Who, who do you have babysit? Um, I just think that I just trust her. Oh, <laughs> oh shoot. No, that, that totally does away with my illustration. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, the reason why she wouldn't let Clara babysit is because she doesn't know Clara. All right? I mean, this is your child, right? You want somebody that you know will take good care of your child, right? Exactly. Okay? Those of you that need babysitters, you might let her babysit if you know her. You know who she is. You've experienced her. You know she's responsible, and she will do it. And then you will entrust your children to her care. And we do the same thing. We wouldn't let anybody babysit that we don't know for sure they are trustworthy. They will take good care of my children. See, and the same reason, the same, <laughs> the same principle applies to our relationship with God. We don't trust Him because we don't know Him, because we don't really know Him. 
we don't know him intimately. I think that is the real issue. So how can we know him better? Who is this God that we can entrust our worries to? Who is this God that wants us to place trust in him? This is what Jesus says here in Matthew 6. Again, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. If God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly Father already knows all you need, and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. This is the God we're talking about, a God who knows you, who loves you and values you. He knows your needs and wants to meet them. That's what the Bible tells us about him. Today to you, he might not say, don't worry about, about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear tomorrow, although we have those around us. But most of you, he might just look you in the eye today and say, don't worry about your next house payment. Don't, don't worry about employment right now. Don't worry about that. Not that that isn't important, but don't worry about it. And he says, seek me. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness. Why? Why is he calling us to do that and trust him? It's because he is the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the person, the God who, who thought you up and created you in his image because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. He wants to care for you and provide for you. That's the God that we're talking about. He knows, and Jesus is very clear about that here in, in Matthew 6. He knows that your biggest need isn't your food and your clothing or your shelter. Your biggest need is for you to know him, to deeply, really know him intimately. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That comes first. And then these things will be given to you as well. See, seeking his kingdom... Seeking his kingdom means allowing him to be king. That's what seeking his kingdom means. Allowing him to be sovereign in your life. Allowing him to be in control. That's what seeking his kingdom means. He knows that that, that is our number one need. And then seeking his righteousness, meaning to be in a right relationship with him. That's our number one need. And he says, if, if that's the case for you, if you really surrender to me, if you let me be king in your life, if you seek to be in a right relationship with me and really get to know me, then we'll worry about these other things. So what he's saying is don't look at the needs Look at me and come after me. And if we do that, then these promises that I'm going to read to you will be true for you. Luke 11:9, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. John 15, 6, If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, whatever you ask in prayer, believe 
that you have it and it will be yours. Do you know that God? Do you know that God who created you, who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to provide for you, who knows your every need? Do you know Him? Because knowing Him means more than knowing these Bible verses. It means more than even memorizing these Bible verses. Now, that can be great. Memorize them, plant them in your heart, meditate on them. But then you know a lot about Him. You can read all the Bible and know a lot about that God. And I can tell you all about my daughter. can tell you everything you might want to know about her. That doesn't mean you know her and trust her. See, really knowing somebody is a lot more experiential than it is intellectual. To really, really know somebody, whether that's a person or God, means stepping out there, taking chances, making yourself vulnerable to know and to be known, and take chances with somebody. That's what it takes to really get to know somebody and letting them get to know you. It takes taking chances with God to really, really know Him more than knowing things about Him. But you know, I've been hurt in relationships where I've made myself vulnerable. I'm sure you have. But I can guarantee you one thing. If there's one person that is worth taking chances with and making yourself vulnerable and taking steps of faith and taking steps of faith in His direction, it is the God of the universe who made you and loves you and cares for you. And he will not disappoint you. Now, he doesn't want you to worry. Oftentimes he wants us to wait. And so sometimes it's in our perception that, that, that he's letting you down when he's just wanting you to wait and be patient. But take chances with him. Really seek to know him. And that's what he says here. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, this will not happen overnight, just like a human relationship doesn't develop trust and deep intimacy overnight. This takes step after step after step. And each step of faith that you take towards God of trusting a little more and knowing Him a little more, the more you know about Him, I guarantee the less you will worry and fear. One word that the Bible uses about knowing God is, is fearing Him. Especially in the Old Testament, we read a lot about the fear of God. Fear the Lord your God. And that kind of fear is not the kind of fear where you're scared and you run away and hide. When it talks about that fear of God, it's a fear of God that you have because you know Him. You know His greatness, His vastness. You, and it's a, it's a fear that draws you to Him in adoration and praise and surrender. And I tell you this, the more you fear God, the less you will fear in this life. The more you fear Him, the less you will worry about stuff. So do you trust Him as your loving Father? Or if you're not there yet, are you willing to start taking steps of faith, taking chances with Him, allowing Him, giving Him opportunities to show Himself, to let you experience Him as your Creator, your loving Heavenly Father who knows you and cares about you? Would you start taking those steps? Another thing that we can know about God in relation to our worries and fears is that God has a much, much bigger perspective on things than we do. 
You know, we, we run around with these blindness. We don't really know it, but we do. We, we only see this right here. And this scares me <laughs> right now. I'm worried about this. But God doesn't have these, you know. He sees not just your whole life. He sees all of history unfold, and he has it in his hands. And it's like with my little son, Casey, went with his elevators, you know. I don't know where that came from. Kind of bugs me a little bit. We're working on it. And, but, you know, really when I think about it, I think, you know what? He's fearful of elevators right now. And I chuckle. Yeah, I have to walk a lot of stairs, but it's good for me. But I, really, I chuckle, and I think, you know what? He's 11 years old. He's going to grow. He's going to grow out of that. He's going to grow into a confident young man who's going to step into elevators boldly <laughs> in the future. <laughs> because I have a bigger picture. I've been in a lot of elevators. <laughs> and you know what? I think the way that I look at my son and his fears of elevators right now, I think this is how God often looks at our fears, and he kind of chuckles and says, that's cute. <laughs> because what scares us to death right now, he sees the big picture, and he says, I know what I'm going to do with that. I know what's going to be the result of that. And he says, don't worry. Don't fear. I see the whole picture. Trust me. Trust me. Casey um, also has a perfectionist streak. At times he um, you know, gets assignment of school and he wants to do it right and perfect and he wants to take it back to school and impress his teacher and, and do it right and he will work hard at stuff. And then, you know, let's say I'm in the next room and I hear him doing his project and all of a sudden it's just, you just hear paper crumble and you, hit it, you hear it hit the, 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 the trash and, and fall on the floor and, and then you hear crying and anger and... And the whole time, I'm next door. And all it would take, say, Daddy, can you come over here? But what takes over is his fear of, what's the teacher going to say? I can't do it right. The teacher is going to yell at me, and then she's going to be mad. And, and he has all these fears of what's going to happen instead of saying, Dad, can you come? And sometimes I sit in the room next, and I'm just, just looking. All right. Tap my fingers. All right, I'm right here. Hello? And sometimes go, Casey, do you want help? No, I can do that. And you don't know what the, what the teacher wants. And, and he thinks, I don't know. And he knows everything better. And again, you know what? That's how we deal with God all the time. Things don't work out. And, and there's all these fears of what will happen. And God's sitting there. Hello? I'm here. All you got to sue is Daddy. Say, Daddy, would you come help? And he's waiting for us to come and help. And yet we have lost that, that, that immediate reaction of asking daddy for help. You know, when they're little, in case he was three, four, five, that's what he, he would do. He would just come and ask. But that is exactly what Jesus is telling us to do. He says, seek God, seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. That's your relationship with him. You're his child and he loves you and he wants to help you. And we don't go. We don't take advantage of it. And so he says, go and seek him. And you know what? I kind of wish he would, have, he would have said something like, run to him. <laughs> seek him. Kind of seems like you're in the dark. Seek him. But run to him. And all through scripture, he's encouraging us to run to him. You know, when, when your child is young and something comes up and, and he's scared, what's the first reaction? They turn around. Where's dad, mom? 
They run, they jump up into your arm. And the second I would catch one of them and grab him, put my arms around him, put my lips by his ear and say, it's okay, it's okay, I got you, you're with dad, it's okay, everything's okay. And you can just feel their body go, oh, relax, okay. You know why? Because at that moment when you grab your child and you, you wrap your arms around, you say it's okay, fear turns into peace. And that is exactly what God is inviting us to do and to receive from Him. When I was five years old, we moved from one house to another. And on the last day of the move, we bring the last things to the new house. Um, we were sitting in the back of this. It was an old VW van. Um, and and uh, anyway, we were sitting in the back. And in the old VW vans, I don't know if you know this, they had a big sliding door. And then the, on the back side, they just had this little hatch door at the top, not like a big door that would open the whole back. And inside, they had this little ramp and this ledge up by that door. And we always asked my dad when we were driving this, can we climb up back there and, and, and slide down this little ramp? And he said, no, you're crazy, that's dangerous. So we didn't. And then on our last trip to the house, he was pulling into the driveway. I said, Daddy, can I go up there now? Okay, go up there. So I go up there. I slip and I slide down. And on the floor were these really thin, long metal sheets. And I fell into it with my right eye, right into the corner, and cut my eye. And immediately we knew something was really wrong. It didn't really hurt bad, but something was majorly wrong. I was only five, and so my father swept me up. They rushed to, the, to an eye doctor, and, and he was super alarmed. And they called an ambulance and rushed me to the... It was actually 20 minutes away. was the most prestigious eye clinic in Germany. And they rushed me into the last thing I remember is this mask on my face with this really dusty air <gasps> gone. Last thing I know, five years old. The next thing I know is I wake up, I open my eyes, and I see nothing. Just black. So the last thing I know is something's really wrong with my eye. They, they put, take me away. Next thing I wake up, I don't see. And I just remember this intense fear just gripping my heart. You know what was my first reaction? I said, Mommy, Papi. That's what we called my parents. And my mom was sitting, I didn't notice it, but she was sitting right on my bed. She said, Kissy, I'm here. That's my nickname, Kissy. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> she said, Kissy, I'm here. And this little five-year-old just sat up, and I just grabbed, I didn't say anything. I just grabbed my mom, which, what, what seemed like an eternity, and she would just hold me. It wouldn't say, it would just hold me. And that was all I needed. That was all it took oh, to replace fear with peace. And then her and my dad would just take turns all throughout. This was the days before parents could actually stay with you at the hospital. I was there for three weeks. It was horrible. But when my parents were there, they would hold and hug and speak peace into my life. That was my, my, my first reaction. Mom, Dad, why don't we do that as adults with a God that cares and wants to be our father? Why is our first reaction, ooh, danger, what, what can I do, what do I do? Oh, worry, yeah, worry will help. <laughs> why is that? Why do we lose that? You know, that's why Jesus told his disciples, if you become like one of these little ones, yours will be the kingdom of God. That's what he wants from us, that childlike knee-jerk reaction, run to him and curl up in his lap and let him hold you 
and whisper in your ear, it's okay, I got you. It's okay, I have you. Looking at this, I was wondering, did Jesus ever experience fear? And if so, what did he do? You know, it tells us that he was tempted in each and every way that we are. He has gone through everything you've gone through. He's been there. And so I was thinking, when did Jesus experience fear? And he did. Right before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read that he was so fearful that he actually sweated blood, which is a physical reaction of a body to intense gripping fear. Jesus experienced fear. And here's what he did. And I think that's, that's, you know, Jesus did it. might be a good idea for us. Here's the three things he did. Firstly, he gathered his closest friends around him. And not just for comfort and company, but he said, guys, John, James, Peter, would you come and pray with me? He didn't go off by himself. He asked his three closest friends to come and be with him and pray with him. And you know, fear can be such a pride issue for us, can't it? So, I don't, nobody needs to know that. You know, I, I, I'll deal with that. Nah, Jesus didn't just deal with it. He asked his three closest friends to come and pray with him. It didn't work out so well. They fell asleep. But he asked. <laughs> you know what? If he needed that, I'm pretty sure I do. And I'm pretty sure you do. And then what he did is he prayed. He went straight to the Father with his fear. It's the second thing. He went straight to the Father and he was honest with his Father. He didn't just talk around it. He told me, he said, Father, I'd rather not do this. I am really scared about this. He was very honest with his fears. And so can we be. You know what? I can let you in on a secret. Whatever you're fearful of, he already knows. He already knows, but there is something about just saying it, admitting it, releasing it to him. Say, God, I'm worried about this, and this is why. This is what I'm fearful of. Be honest with him. But then the third thing that Jesus did with his fear is he surrendered it to the Father. That's what it means to let him be king. <laughs> he surrendered. He says, okay, I'm, I'm really scared about this, but it's what you want. It's not what I want. He released it to the Father, and God replaced that with peace. He replaced the fear and the worry with peace. Now, in this incident, you will know, Jesus' worries came true. He was immensely tortured and executed. You see, God isn't always going to take the cause of our fear just away and swipe it away. But what He's promised is to be with us, to give us peace, and if he decides not to take it away, to walk through it with us. That's his promise. That's his promise to you, and that's his promise to me. If we seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, if we let him be king, and if we're in the right relationship with him, then he will replace our fear with peace. Because he loves you, and he's in control. And he knows what you need. He's your father. So I want to leave you with this Bible verse. 
And this is a, a great verse that speaks right to the heart of this issue of fear and what we need to do with it. And I want to encourage you to, to, to maybe memorize this, to, to plant it in your heart, to, to meditate on it. But don't leave it there. Don't leave it here. Really ask God to help you experience this verse. It's from Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says this, Do not be anxious about anything, anything, but in everything present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He will guard your heart and your mind that wants to worry and spin it to the worst case scenario. He will guard it and give you peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We're going to go and and, and sing a few songs together now. And the first song says this. It says, Peace, be still. Lay all your worries down. Be still, O my soul, for our God is in control. And if God is for us, then whom shall I fear? And our God is for us. So lay down, be still. And during this first song, we're also going to take communion together. Communion is what Jesus encouraged the disciples and through them us to do when we get together like this. To take a piece of bread, it representing his body that was broken for us. And then we'll, we'll have a little cup of, of grape juice representing his blood that he shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And if we have experienced that in our lives, then these promises are for us. So I just want to encourage you, we're going to do this a little different this morning. Usually we have it up here and you come and you take the bread and you drink the juice. Today we will bring it to you and serve it to you. You will get the bread first. I just want you to feel free to take this in whatever way you want to. Um, you can keep the bread and wait for the juice or just meditate on that and eat that and, and then take the juice in whatever way you want to. But I want to encourage you that in the meantime, while you wait for the bread and the juice to be served to you, take back that index card that you wrote your worries on. And I want to encourage you as we sing this song about peace and be still, lay your worries down, that you take those worries that you wrote down and that you lay them down before Jesus, that you lay them down before God and say, God, this is what I'm worried about. Be honest. This is what keeps me up at night. This is, this is why I'm so scared. Would you take my head and focus my eyes on you instead of that? And would you fill my heart with peace? Even if you decide not to take these worries away, I'd love that. But if you don't, would you walk through this with me? Would you hold my hand and give me peace in the midst of this? And would you help me and give me the strength not to worry? Would you give me the strength to make the decision not to worry, but to run to you for peace and comfort. Let's worship together.